Hello, and welcome to the Bookish Banter Podcast, where we'll be sharing our opinions about our favorite books, authors, and bookish impulse buys. Follow along on our journey to finishing and sharing our endless TBR. Go ahead and subscribe, leave us a review, and follow us on our Instagram and TikTok at the Bookish Banter Podcast. Let's get started. This episode contains spoilers from The Throne of Glass series by Sarah J. Mass, with references to Tangled, Supernatural, The Swan Princess, Game of Thrones, and Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Hello. How's it going? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) At the same time, it's good. It's it's going well. I am pretty much done and moved in. What a exciting. What a wild ride it's been. So uh so. For anyone who doesn't know, I moved to Nashville and I've been slowly and painfully unpacking everything. So pretty much everything is up on the walls. That's exciting. I'm excited for you to like have everybody come visit. I'm I'm ready to plan a trip to come visit, but I have limited PTO. So <laughs> well, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, come out here. We'll 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 figure it out. We'll yeah, we're gonna have to do a meetup for sure. Um, Nashville is amazing. So can't wait to have you come out here and visit. Uh, yeah, I'm super excited to come visit. I don't have a lot going on. Yeah, nothing big. It's very, very toasty out here. I'm just swimming in my pool and getting ready for end of the year vacations. That's about it. We've officially like gone back into the office now. So my life has changed quite a bit. Uh, I am struggling with the hour long commute, but I have found a love of audiobooks, Also PPS for the group. Hot tip, if you have a Kindle, and an iPhone, I have no idea how to do it with Android, but if you have an iPhone, you can have it read to you in a very robotic Siri voice. And that also accomplishes a lot if you don't have the audiobook for it, because your girl cheap as hell. And I rented the Kindle from the library and have made my books read to me with a Siri-esque voice. So. That's, a, that's a good tip, especially with those uh, long commutes now that people are starting to go back into the office. Yes. Thankfully, I can continue my reading shenanigans um, at lunch and such because I'm still working from home, um, which will be nice, but um, so weird not being in the office. So that'll be interesting if they ever make us go back to the office. So yeah, I'm interested to see how it's going to go. The transition has been uh, rough. Let's call it that. It is that's the commute that's really long, but I don't know. I'm, I'm enjoying getting a chance to like catch up on all my other bookish podcasts that I listen to and getting a chance to finally listen to audiobooks and things like that. But Hot tip for Kindle users. You can make your Kindle read to you. It just takes a lot of concentration. A lot. <laughs> and if you, as long as you don't mind a Siri voice. Yeah. Anyways, so nice. well, let's get into our episode this week. We are talking about Air of Fire, which is the fourth installment, technically, of the Throne of Glass series. Um, this is when we get to the nitty gritty of everything. This is a thick, thick, thick book. It is almost 600 pages, give or take. Yeah, um, it's getting there. I think every book after this gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, this is a pretty thick book. And like all of SJM's books, they start off kind of right where we left off. I love how this one started off, actually. It's Aelin is chilling on a rooftop with a jug of wine, just getting blindingly drunk and not giving a damn about anything. So she decided she's not going to kill these people. And instead, she's going to get blinding drunk and sleep on in the sun on the rooftops. and. Uh, I give a damn. I love this. In there. She kind of mentions Kale's misplaced good intentions. And I think that's like a resounding theme for Kale as like a character in general. Oh, I love that. I still um, love Kale though. I like her, you know, that she's just kind of a lazy fool. And then we meet 
Rowan. I love this first interaction. So <laughs> many characters in this book. There are a lot. I have some thoughts about all of this. We'll go into that in a minute. She meets Rowan and then they're in the alley and she's just kind of like, oh, I guess I am a bad assassin. I'm a sloppy drunk. And he's a fairy. That's interesting. Hmm. I guess let's hang out. And it was just like, what a weird interaction. And okay, this is my complaint or this is my thought. I I understand why she named them all M, but I had a really hard time differentiating which one of the the ones was like her mom or her grandmother. Maeve, Mav, Mab, Mib, Mib, Remember that? Yeah. yeah. Like, I had a really hard time with that. I was like, so one of them's bad. Mab is like her great grandmother or her grandmother. And then there's like another one that was like kind of irrelevant. And I was like, I kind of got where they all, why she named them the way that he did. But it took me a minute to figure out like what was going on and the backstory of like how she has been hunting, essentially hunting for Selena her entire life. And she knows who she is. I like Rowan's character. We love a good enemies to lover story. Um, obviously, we've read the spoilers. We knew they were going to end up together. So it was really fun to kind of watch their relationship develop. I wasn't convinced. The slow burn on these two is painful. It is painful. Ugh. It's good. I mean, I, I we all love a good slow burn. Like, let's just throw this out there. We all love a good slow burn. But the slow burn on these two, I'm just like... A thousand pages is a long, long, long slow burn. I'm like more convinced of their friendship than I am like the romantic relationship, I think. And I was like, I get how this is going to turn into something else. Yeah. But it, it was just... I don't know. This is a weird, their dynamic changes so rapidly. And then it's just like, it's like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice myself for her. I like, I care about her so much, but like, we have barely just told each other we're friends or I'm like, just now admitting that to myself. Yeah. There was just some of them right. that were in, like really dramatic, really quickly. And my dogs are just fighting in the background. The thing that I was like, not convinced by was the animal shifting. So they finally mentioned that like that every fairy shifts into an animal, which was cute. I liked that. Yeah. Rowan is a falcon. Maeve is a barn owl. His friends are like wolves. His other friends like a kitty cat. And she's like a human. Yeah. And I was like, that's trash. <laughs> that's all I have to say. <laughs> she, I mean, she's not happy about it. Girl, I, right there with you, that would suck. I mean, it helps with like disguising who you are. But at the same time, it's just, yeah, you're right. You're right. If, if you could change, if you could change into an animal and your animal is a human, like, that's lame. That sucks. <laughs> that really sucks. It was just weird. It was like, that's, that was what you chose to do. It's not like they also can shift like to human and then an animal. It, I don't know. That was just silly. I she was didn't like, choose it. She would, it didn't have a choice of what she could Sarah shift could into. Choose it. Huh? Sarah could choose it. Oh, she that's true. Made the world like, oh, you can take away a little bit of your fairy features and then also shift into like a lion. I don't know. I think she, it was I ugly. Think, I yeah. Like I think it. she did it just to to differentiate Selena and Aelin. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm right there with Aelin and you. Like, that's lame. Being a human. I was like, like what? That's your I literally was like, that excuse me? What are your thoughts on Maeve, Mav, Mahu? Maeve? I think she's a psycho bitch, man. I didn't, I didn't like her from the start. She's mean. And you can tell even like, no one likes her. Not even the guys who have a blood oath to her like her. Like, oh, she's brutal, man. They did a good job of making her they. I always say they. She did a good job of making her like the wicked stepmother yep. or she reminds me kind of of from Snow White. Yeah. She reminded me of the, of the witch on Tangled. It's like mother knows best to listen to your momsy. Like she was so, you all know you're here for the singing. Just, just admit it. But she was very reminiscent of um, her and her like manipulation. And like, she's very dark and cruel and just 
did not like her at all. It's so crazy because she's also, they also describe her as so different from her sisters. She's like the bad sister. <laughs> I think they did a really good job of turning her into like a wicked witch and like the wicked stepmother. And I was, I was like vaguely confused for a minute there. I will not lie, but she was the aunt. I was like, oh, okay. So she's been like looking for essentially her sister's daughter this whole time, trying to like harness her power. And I was, I don't she's know. like a great aunt though. She's not yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. Sorry. She's, she's like a great, 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 great aunt. <laughs> Everybody has like the same last name and the same, and I would just was like, I'm so confused who's who. And I know that as we get further on, it gets more easy to understand, but I was a bit confused for quite a while there trying to figure out like, I was like, wait, so her and Rowan are distantly related. And I get that he's like thousands of years older than her, but that's cringy. We didn't need to throw that in there. Like that was just, they're like, Ooh, slightly related again. Also same with Aiden. Right. Okay. We'll get into that too. And I was just like, this is very like Game of Thrones. <laughs> I, I okay. So yeah. So she meets her and then she says that you have to go through this trial and you have to be trained by Rowan before I decide whether or not I can tell you about the war keys. And this was a weird, I don't know what a weird like storyline, but whatever. I kind of get the point. And she's like, okay, so let's go to this like keep in the woods and we'll hang out there. And then we kind of switch back to Kale and Dorian and yeah, that's going well. There, oh, Dorian's story in this book completely just broke my heart. I felt oh. so bad for him in this book. I was trying like, to think his... ahead, like, is Sorsha in other books? Oh. I haven't heard of this chick. It's brutal, man. It's brutal. Like, his, and it's so sad because he's, like, happy. And he's, like, found, like, someone he cares about. And, like, you know, it's just, like, oh, it breaks my heart. But, you know, we go with Kale and um, Dorian and Kale's still fighting with himself about, you know, did he do the right thing? He's, you know, Selena is Aelin now and he's having a very hard time. And, you know, he's not loyal to the crown, but he still has a hard time with it. And then Aiden shows up. I call him Aiden. I don't know how they pronounce it. It might be Aideon. I don't know, but I'm going to call him Aiden because that's what I've been calling him. So I'm very sorry if that's not how you say his name. Again, I get why. It's Aiden and Aelin, but let me tell you, when Siri, the mechanical voice, was reading it to me, I was like, who? Huh? What? It didn't go well. Yeah. Just like to point that out. No, yeah, I, I love his character. I'm not going to lie. Love him. I think he's so I, cool. And not to be, oof. not to be dramatic or anything, but I would die for Aiden. I love him so much. <laughs> no big deal, but you know, it's a big deal. I love his character. I think that they set him up so well. He reminds me of that kind of like Jon Snow, King of the North. Yeah. Um, I love, I don't know. I need to stop saying I love. I like the way that they set up his character to be very reminiscent of Selena and all the things that Selena yeah. has done where he's not actually killing all the rebels and doing all that stuff. I never had an inkling that he was a bad guy, but the king kind of sets him up to be that bad guy. Then the rings come back yeah. into it and you get more of an idea of what the rings are. Thank you, Sarah, for bringing that back in. Yeah. I'm still confused as to what's happening with Roland and the other ones. And I'm sure as we get further on, they'll explain a little bit more about what happened there. But I like the introduction of his character. I like his persona and I like the facade that he puts on. And this is a good thing for Kale. I think this is a good book for Kale. Kale really comes into his own as a character and does a lot and shows his inner strength and where his loyalties lie. And that he's like, I just care about people. I don't care about the kingdom necessarily but I care about like my king and my king is Dorian. I also, yeah, I love that. And I love how Aiden doesn't, Aiden calls him on his shit, man. He's just like, 
what side are you on? Who are you fighting for? Because if you don't know that, then you're going to be, you're useless. So what are you here for? Why are you here? And you need to figure that out. And it's funny because he kind of pouts about it. Kale kind of pouts about it for a little while. And you're just like, where are you, Kale, man? What, where do your loyalties lie? And this is when he really, he's like, you know, he has this interaction with Dorian and him and Dorian have kind of a strained relationship right now. It was so sad when Dorian finally figures out like who Aelin is, you know, he finds Aiden and Kale meeting and having these secret meetings to plot against the king. And, but Dorian's not included in this and Dorian's a big aspect of that. And he's upset about it and has a right to be upset about it. You know what I mean? And Kale sitting here saying, yes, like I, he's my, he's my king. I want him on the throne. I want him on the throne, but you're not going to have him in any sort of part of plan or any sort of process of that. Then how... How is he going to trust you? I, I know this it was very Kale's misguided, good intentions all over. Yeah. Again. I still love Kale. I don't understand the major dislike of him. Yeah. I don't know. I liked Kale and I liked, I liked the arc that happened with him and Dorian's relationship in this book. It was so, it was so mature. The so two of good. them really matured out, I think in this and the way that he interacts with Dorian and he's trying so hard to protect him and kind of tuning back into that him being the captain of the guard and all the things he wants to do for Dorian and he's like listen I don't want you to die and I know that your father is going to do this and like I'm not sure where my loyalties lie but my loyalties lie with like you and Selena and protecting the two of you and whether that turns into like treason from the crown I don't really care because you are my crown and I loved them and I love Dorian and his progression in this too and how not casually he is about it, but you know, he learns to kind of control his magic and then is so excited to show it off to Kale and then mentions it so many times. Like you can't just pick and choose who you love and what parts of Selena you love. You can't just pick and choose what parts of me you love. Things are changing and it's like time to get over yourself. So I think that's where Kale gets a little close-minded, but I think that they did a great job as a dynamic, like as a friendship dynamic, staying true to who they were really growing and maturing and, you know, obviously at the end, there's like a lot of self-sacrifice and all that kind of stuff. And I think it turned out really well. Yeah. I like that. How did you feel about Kale and Aiden's relationship? I really liked it. I thought it was interesting that at the beginning, Aiden and Kale are kind of at each other's throats and he's thinking about how he's going to kill him. And Kale in a last ditch effort is like, Aiden's alive, you know, and he knows that that's, that's going to be the he knows that's going to be his winning ticket to not dying. And I liked how they've developed throughout the whole thing. And Ren is such a little whiny brat about some things. And he's like, when are you going to kill Kale? When are you going to kill him? And he's like, I'm not going to kill him. I think I actually like him. And maybe, but I'm not sure. I really, I also liked how Kale just throws it out there as a last ditch effort. Like, it's like, it's like, it's either going to be, he's going to kill me because Aelin's alive or he's going to be happy that she's alive. You know what I mean? It's, he doesn't really actually know where Aiden's loyalties lie. You know, do his loyalties lie with the king? Do his loyalties lie to Aelin or Terrasan? Like, what, who is he? And Kale has an inkling that he's, you know, he's met with Ren and all these things, and he has an inkling and, like, the rebels and stuff, so he's like, okay, I think he's on Aelin's side, but I'm still, I still don't know. You know, he has the black ring. He has all these things. Like, how, how is this playing in? And so, um, that last-ditch effort, I also love how emotional Aiden is. I love that he's like, I, love their I wanted to cry. <laughs> I wanted how, to cry. Yeah, and I like that they're so young and and we get all, you know, we get a lot of Selena's backstory in this. We get a lot of Aelin's and Aiden's backstory and I really like the snippets and the way it was drawn in there and I think it kind of came at the perfect times, but I love their relationship when they're young and you see her memories of him and how fiercely protective he was and then 
going forward, how fiercely protective he is of her now and all the things he wants to do. And like, he just says, I can't wait to serve her and all that. Uh, he is a great character. What an interesting relationship for him to have with his cousin. And I just think that was like so wholesome because she's been trying her whole journey basically to have really great friends. And she has that in Dorian. She had an Ansel and obviously Ansel sucks, but like, it's so, it was so heartwarming to kind of read that back when she was a young kid that her and, Ans- that her and Aiden had such a good relationship. God, the part where she meets that, we find out later is one of the princes, one of the Vogue princes, but where she sees the prince and she like has these horrible flashbacks of these terrible memories that she has. And it was so heartbreaking. And just like, you could feel just like the raw emotion and her being so terrified and the pain. I just, that was such a sad, but such a good scene of just the roller coaster of emotion that she's gone through. And it, there was just like all these things that were going through her mind. And, you know, she's continues to have these conversations with Rowan after, you know, he mentions whipping her or whatever. And she's like, if you whip me, I will skin you alive. And, you know, he obviously doesn't know her past. So he doesn't know what that means to her. As a reader, you know what she's been through and you know what that means to her when he says something like that. So, you know, she's going through this process with Rowan and eventually she learns to shift on command. Then you find out her power is fire. These memories of her lighting the library on fire and not being able to play with the other kids because she couldn't control her power and is really sad almost. You know, yes, she's a princess and yes, she's, you know, pampered and taken care of, but she has no friends. You know, she tries to make friends with Dorian, but scares the ever living out of him. I, but I do love her and Aiden's relationship Oh, and his love for her, even though it kind of borderlines on creepy at some moments. He's so ridden with guilt of not saving her and not saving the family and not being there for her the last 10 years. And is she actually alive? And if she is, what has she gone through? And what will she think of me? And he keeps referring to himself as Arderland's whore. And it's just like, oh, it is his arc through this book. I, I love Aiden. I love him so much. But yeah. Yeah, I think he was just set up as a really good character for her kind of going forward and all that stuff. I will say, I don't know. I liked Nehemia's character in Throne of Glass. I think it was really great. I didn't like her in Crown of Midnight. I understand why it affects Selena so much. But on the other hand, it affects you just as much as your parents' death. Like that was a lot. You knew Nehemia for like six months. And Nehemia lied to you and like wrecked your life and put you in all these awful situations where you literally had to like maim and murder So I understand it for her character arc and the grief and all the things she's gone through, but it was like getting a little bit exhausting reading again about how Nehemia was so effective on her life and they had five scenes together, you know? And it's like, I don't know, that was just a little uncomfortable for me to continuously be like, well, I made a blood oath and, you know, Nehemia and all these things. And it's like, Nehemia lied to you. Like she was a shitty friend. She lied to you. She literally ruined your life in the castle. And like, yeah, great. Now you're here where you are because Kale found all these things, but it's like, she literally ruined your life. And you're just like struck with grief. You're not like struck with anger for the things that yeah. she didn't tell you. You're just like sad that she didn't tell you. So I don't know yeah. that the the thing with the prince was interesting. And I like they bring the skinwalkers in and all these, you know, creepy creatures and stuff like that. And I like the three POVs, you know, well, yeah. I guess it's a little more than three, but like the three different places that, you know, her and Rowan are training at this keep and then Chael, Chael Kale and Dorian <laughs> are at the castle. And then we kind of meet Manon yeah. and I oh. love her story. I was so involved so in all of it. We don't get a villain kind of often as like a POV. And I liked her from the beginning. So this brings in the iron teeth. Here we go again with a little bit more world building than I would have liked, but 
There's three different types of clans. The king says, come here to this mountain on the map that I had to look at at least three times and come pick out yourself a draggy dragon. Come pick yourself <laughs> out a smog. And um, I really, I was so enthralled by her interactions with her grandmother, her interactions with the other heirs, the 13, and how they set all of that up. And I, I know hate it only her gets grandma better from so there. much. Oh, I hate her so much. That's a wicked bitch, man. Yeah, she's I'm, awful. But like, that's what I'm saying. They say yeah. that. They say that like they're evil. They have no hearts. They have no souls. And it's like, wow, what an interesting way to read that. Because we as normal people, I hope so, um, don't as believe humans. in like, <laughs> as humans, like don't believe in all these things where it's just like violence and death and all this stuff. And, you know, we find those things to be wrong. And it's, they say that like, this is built in their culture. These are their mortal enemies. They ruin, you know, the, the Croatian witches, the Croatian, I don't know how to say it. The Croatian witches come in like, brought blight and plague essentially to their land and did all these things that were awful. And it's like, they're just as savage and bloodthirsty as all of these other iron teeth clans. And, you know, it's such an interesting point of view to read because we don't get that that often. And her arc with Titus and her arc with Abraxas, which also here we go again with another A name, come on, ha, and all of that stuff. And I really, I I love that. We all love a good transition arc I don't know what it's called. I that whole scene, they're picking out their wyvern, and I love the like tension between the clans and the heirs, the different witch heirs and everything like that. It gets to the point where they can pick out the their wyverns, and so I was not expecting this to happen. I would this can't this. I was like, okay, and so you know, you're basically yes and no. I kind of knew that obviously she doesn't get Titus. Yeah, but I didn't think she was going to get Titus, but I thought there was going to be a different one that showed up that was like, yeah. you know, but this scene, you know, she talks about how they have bait beasts. So it's just so sad. It's, it's very reminiscent of like, of like dog fighting and it's so sad. And so um, I didn't, I, I didn't like it just because it's terrible and horrible, but you know, it's obviously it plays into the brutal mentality of the witches and the king and but it's terrible and so there's this bait beast in there who is just getting the evolution beaten out of him from titus and titus is just like taking chunks out of him and is just being terrible the yellow legs air comes up and is like she's like you want titus why haven't you claimed him yet maybe you should go down there and claim him and she shoves her into the pit and i'm like talk about terrifying being in between two big old freaking wyverns while they're fighting and yeah and so obviously titus immediately sees her as food because he's just a big dumb dragon and so he tries to go after her but then the bait beast is like oh no oh no sir and basically he protects her the yeah, enemy that, of my enemy is my friend. Exactly. And so I love that. And so she gets out of the ring and then Titus turns on the bait beast. And she she talks about this. Well, her and her and Aelin talk about this pull. That it's like there's these moments where they know it's going to change their life. These moments where they know they have to act on something or they have to help this person or do this thing. And um both Manon and Selena talk, or Aelin, I'm sorry, talk about these moments. Um, Aelin talks about it when she met Irene in, um, in Assassin's Blade. But there's like certain moments where they're like, I know I need to be here. I'm meant, I'm meant to be in this moment and I'm being pulled toward this creature or this person. And so Manon's 
saying that she knows that she needs to go back. And so she goes back and she like chops off Titus's tail and then Abraxas snaps his neck. Or Okay, well, the bait beast is Abraxas, but you know, he snaps his neck and kills him and she chooses the bait beast, which is Abraxas. And I was like, I like this. I, I like this. I like the quote where she says, Titus is a big brute and he would have had great strength, but Abraxas is a warrior. And you're like, I love Abraxas. I love him so much. He, and it just, I love their, you know, the training and stuff like that. And she takes him on the mountain. He's just like sitting in the wildflowers, sniffing the wildflowers and bathing and sunbathing and just like a big cat. And I was just like, I, I love, I love him so much. I think my favorite scene with them was the spider scene where they go see the spiders for the spider silk. Um, and she's going to like reinforce it. I love Manon. I think she's so funny and such a good character. And you really see her fight with the lack of a soul, I guess for a better like phrase, but her lack of a soul and she's so clever. And I imagine this, like a scene from the Hobbit when they're in the forest and he takes out sting and he can hear the spiders talking. That's kind of how I imagined it. And she's so clever. And she's like, there's a, there's a fall in this, you know, there's something that's not, doesn't look right. Can you like come inspect this further? And then Abraxas is like, ka-ping off the mountain. <laughs> And he I was just like, like, LOL. <laughs> he like angry birds her off the side of the mountain, flings her, flings this big old spider and she takes all these like, like three spools. Of them. Slings three of them. Yeah. Them. He, like, she like takes all these spools of spider silk and just like dips out. The spiders don't deal in gold. They deal in memories, beauty, years of life, things like that. She's like, you know, you're immortal. So I don't want to see your dreams. I don't want to see what happens in those. And then she goes, but you are beautiful. So I'll take your beauty as payment. I just, I love that. And how she, you know, reinforces his wings with the spider silk. And she gives him iron. I love that she gives him iron teeth. I was like, yes, she gives him iron teeth. And she gives him iron spikes on his tail because they chopped it off. The abuse that this poor creature went through. It was so sad how he's in this one, like his little cage. He's just like sitting in the corner. And she's like, what? She's like talking to the keeper. And she's like, what's wrong with him? And he's like, oh, well, he's probably not used to a cage this big. You know, he's, he's was down with the other bait beast where they were just like shoved together and mistreated. And I was just like, oh, it just, it broke my heart. I was like, poor Braxis. You are loved now. Manon loves you. It's okay. We all love you. Yeah. There's such a brutality in all of this training. And you're still thinking in the back of your head, like the witches are going to go fight for the king. And like, who does he want them to destroy? Obviously all the realm, but I really like Manon. I liked her story. I like, you know, how she becomes wing. We can just talk all the way about Manon for this part, but I like how she becomes wing commander. That scene with her and Petra, where her wyvern gets attacked by the yellow legs heir. That chick sucks. She's a, I I was just gonna say, she's a witch. She is. She's straight up a witch, man. She's awful. And that's, she's terrible. So sad. And I do, I said this in the last episode, but I do love how Sarah writes these animals as having all these feelings and the emotions they have in it. And that she pulls a mission impossible and hops on off and grabs Petra and saves her life. And I I love how this is going to set up for the next book. That was so heartbreaking. heartbreaking. I was so heartbroken. And she just talks about how, you know, you hear she, she hits the ground and she doesn't come up. And then Petra's just obviously destroyed, you know, and she talks about this bond between the animals. And a lot of them are like, oh no, these animals are just dumb. They don't know. They don't take commands. They da 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 da. And she's like figuring out that, you know, especially through Abraxas, because he's smarter. One of the oldest bait bees. He's the oldest bait beast. He's been around a long time. 
the way he flies and the things that he does. And so she's talking about being able to kind of communicate with him and have this like bond with him. And, um, and Petra talks about that before, you know, the, the games. And she talks about that and saying, you know, they understand you, right? You know, you communicate. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, mm-hmm, okay. And then she just like, you know, walks off, but it was just, I, I just, I, that whole scene was just so heartbreaking. And it's like, you know, that she wins it, you know, the black bee clan wins and, um, you know, they become, she becomes wing leader basically. And then her grandmother pulls the most, just, uh, this part also broke my heart and just how brutal and just, you want to feel bad for Manon, but then you're like, okay, is she going to be a villain? Like, you just don't know how, I did not know how to feel about Manon, but I did, I loved her, but I was just like, ah, I'm just very torn between how I feel about what she's here to do. I was, I'm interested to know how that goes further on. I think that it's obviously going to play a huge role in the next few books. Um, but I love her swagger. I love her style. I love how smart she is and her interactions with her grandmother and how she's like, I'm not going to come talk to her because I don't, I don't want to get like beat up today. They're a brutal clan. They're a brutal bunch. I mean, this is what we imagine witches to be right. If we're going to the very extreme of like our thoughts on witches in general. So I think she set that up really well to making the witches out to be this kind of evil character. I obviously they're going to have a redemption arc because that's how books work, but I really loved all of them. And the 13 is such a strong and powerful, here we go again with like the strong, powerful main characters and strong, powerful women. Sarah does a great job implementing all of that. And uh, overall, like, yeah, I loved Manon. I think that was the storyline that I was the most interested in reading throughout this book. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, her storyline was just so good. And I loved, again, her building of that relationship with the Braxis and the 13 and their training and everything. And it was just, so good and her grandmother man she's also another one she's on the lines of Arabin, man she's another one that's really easy to hate yeah i'm glad that she didn't play a huge role because yeah she was really awful she was terrible i hated her so much um but then we kind of go back to rowan and aelin i loved the moment where he kind of confesses that his wife was murdered and that he went into like a 200 year slump and she said, you know, like, I have a lot of problems. Obviously, you can see that, like, I have no control of my powers. I'm, I'm awful at my job. I'm not accomplishing anything that I want to accomplish. And then she's like, holds his hand and is like, we're going to do this together. And it doesn't feel like she's breaking apart. She's like welding back together. That was a beautiful end to that chapter. It was a beautiful significance in their friendship. But this is where I'm kind of not that convinced that they're like a love interest. It's, it's a pretty, it's a very slow burn. This is definitely a enemies to friends to lovers situation, um, which I, I liked it. Friends. I'm tired <laughs> of Selena having like a new boyfriend every book. I mean, he, Rowan's endgame. Let's be honest, Rowan definitely, is endgame. But it's exhausting. But, <laughs> but you know, it's it's so good, and so I liked their building of their friendship and that you know that camaraderie that they build, and he's starting to trust her and learn more about her. The scene where. Um, she, you know, she's finally kind of controlling her power and she's figuring it out. And then she's holding the fires like together or whatnot. And, you know, keeping them burning, keeping them burning. And then he's like, okay, you're done. But she starts to kind of basically fall into her power and fall into her fire. And she's burning, literally burning from the inside out. And he like, it's like, all right, we need to get her, get her in, get her taken care of. Like, get her in an ice bath. His power is so, you know, fire and ice. You know, I, I like the difference in that. It's very... I know it's cliche, but 
I don't care. I loved it. It was so cliche. It was very cliche. You know, I, I will say I did love the moment where she really kind of came into her own with the creepy sea dragon thing with the one eye. I, that was a I, wild scene. And Rowan being like, whoopsies, knowing, but not knowing. The ending was so, how it all tied together was really good. But, you know, um, he's not knowing that that creature was there and he's like, ooh, that's not good. How did you feel about her relationship with like Emery and Luca and the kitchen staff and everyone within the uh, the like fort, basically? I don't know how I feel about her in general. <laughs> I think she kind of acts like a spoiled brat for so much of this. And it's like, isn't there a time constraint? Don't you have like things you want to do? And she's just like whines a lot with Rowan and all of her training. And I don't know, that scene was so awful when she just yells at them and tells all of them she doesn't care. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> Aylin's such a brat. And such a spoiled brat. I do love Emery and I like his relationship with them where he yells at her and Rowan and is like, you need to stop like beating the fire out of each other. We just can't afford to have the two of you at your th- at each other's throats all the time and their progression and all the stories he tells them and the, you know, kind of the story of the demi fay and their love for each other as like a species, I guess. And they're like camaraderie in general. I really did enjoy that. And I guess I was kind of confused geographically. We don't have a map of this area of no. how like close this is. Um, it's just like an arrow. That's like, Gwendolyn is this way. <laughs> I was like, cool. Um, I really did. I loved Emery's character and I liked the camaraderie, like inside the fortress and all those sorts of things and how that kind of played out as like a cool group. And this is that inkling we get of mates and here we go again. She has this in Akatar. I get it because they're Fae, but that was interesting. This was really setting up the basis of what we know about Fae, the rules of Fae in this book specifically, because a lot of them are the same, but I think in SJM's world of Fae is very different than say Holly Blacks or something like that. So I like that we were kind of getting the rules and the rundown of, of Fae being warriors and the mates and that they're territorial, they can smell each other's senses and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I really liked that setup. This plays into Akatar and in the Crescent City and all of that yeah. kind of stuff. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I like her. I liked her relationship with them. I was really heartbroken when he because you can tell Emery's just trying, you know, and then you find out Emery knew her mom and all these things. And it's so just like I liked, but I did like her arc in this. You know, this the beginning of this book starts out with her just being just a petulant child, like her just being a spoiled brat who doesn't want to do it she's not ailing she's just fighting so hard to just be trash it's really where it's at that's what she thinks she is she's she's being a child Rowan even tells her that Rowan's like quipping a child act like a queen act like who you truly are like get over yourself and move on oh that's a lot of kind of this this kind of a tough love mentality I think um I she annoyed the crap out of me I think it was in the very beginning of this book, you know, that arc of her being just, just nasty. She just mean, man. And I was like, quit being a brat, dude. Yeah. I think I'm ready to see her be as like badass as she is in Assassin's Blade. I think she fights a lot and wins a lot of fights in Assassin's Blade and she proves herself to the master and all that stuff. But I haven't seen that since because in Throne of Glass, she really doesn't get to do a ton of that. I guess you kind of see it in the end. I'm ready to see like Selena the assassin and Aelin the Fae. And I want to see her be that like badass woman that she is because in Throne of Glass, she's like, I'm confident. I'm beautiful. I'm wonderful. I'm awesome. And then 
her friend that she just met dies and she's like, I'm awful. I'm the worst person in the whole wide world. All I've done is kill people. Nobody loves me. My life is so hard, which it is, but it's like, I'm ready for that shift. And we get it kind of at the end of all of this, but I think she's a little more self-sacrificing than she lets on. Yeah. And then at the end, it's like, yeah, like Rowan's like, did you know that this was going to happen? And she's like, yeah, I definitely knew. Cause I'm that person. Like I'm going to self-sacrifice And She kind of says it, I guess not really at the end. She says it when they interact with a sea dragon. She's like, yeah. do not bring other people into this. And I am a self-sacrificing oh, yeah. person. I'm going to do all this for people that I love and like people that I care about. And I'm tired of like watching people die. And it's like, where was that this whole time? Yep. Because up until now you've been pretty selfish. Yeah. I think she's, it's that it's the transition into, again, you know, we talked about this, you know, her human form, that separation of her human form from her fate, from her fate form and being the human being Selena, the child being Selena, the annoying bratty spoiled human basically being Selena. And then the Faye side of her is Aelin. She's the queen. She has her shit together and she knows what she's going to do or she knows who she cares about. She knows what she's here for. She's going to carry out her mission. And you see that, I mean, I know you haven't read Queen of Shadows yet, but you see that that's, that's where that transition really takes effect. And I, I liked it, but um, yeah, Era Fire was that final kind of, I think, peg and like, you know, Rowan coming into her life and basically just not taking her shit and being like, this is a big transition book for, I think how the character is going to go throughout. Yeah. It's just a bit much that we're in book three and we're still hashing out the details of like, is Chael, Chael, why do I keep calling him Chael? Is Kale morally gray? Is Dorian against his father? I don't know. It was, it's a little late for me to still be having this conversation. Yeah. I really loved Rowan and how he pushed her and the relationship they built and all that kind of stuff. I just, I don't, I don't see it yet because I haven't gone further in the series, but I haven't seen it yet that I'm convinced that they're a thing. Yeah. I would love them to just stay friends. (laughs) I think at the end of this book, I, I wasn't convinced they were like, I think I could see the kind of inner workings of it. Um, I also think she's still kind of caught up on Kale. Um, and she still hasn't resolved her feelings for him. And I think that's part of it too. Um, and I still think she has a lot that she wanted to accomplish as far as avenging Sam before she moved on to Rowan. And so, you know, she goes through this whole training and she they get this like sword when they're Rowan is an asshole and um freezes Luca to this under mountain lake thing and she's pissed immediately she's like what what is your problem man and then she goes out there and she you know he's basically trying to get her to control her power and not be afraid of it and so she's like going out on this ice and it's melting and she's like oh no and so she's it's like cracking this scene was so intense it's like cracking and she finally gets to luca and he's like scared but trying to joke and she's like shut up like i need you to shut up right now and i just love that and she you know breaks the chains and then she breaks this chain and then she sees an eye and i'm like i I would not be okay if some freaking little, like, it was very terrifying. The way that she described it, how big it was and everything. I was like, oh no, 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 absolutely not. And so she's like trying to get Luca off the ice and Rowan's like, 
this is a bad life decision. <laughs> so, you know, he slides her the sword. PPS, my she, bad. She, like, uses the sword to, like, fend off this, like, dragon snake sea wits situation. I loved the line in there where she was like, the sword is no better than a toothpick. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that is terrifying. It's so funny. And it was just like, this is not going to go well. I loved it. This is not going well. well. Not going well. So she, but anyway, she like gets out. Apparently this, this creature, they're like, I just see them just hawing ass down the mountain and you just hear this creature roaring and they're like, it's coming after us this is bad. This is so bad. And so they like run down the hill, but then the monster's like not there. And so they're like, okay. So this is when her and, and Rowan just like duke it out, man. She is pissed. And she's like, don't you ever bring anyone else into this. She's like, this is about me and my problems and figuring my shit out and getting what I need to save the people I love. Do not ever. I mean, she lets him freaking have it. And I loved it. I loved how she got right in space and was I thought it was crazy that her power is so powerful uh, that like her firepower is so powerful that she burns him and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we love Ron as a character because he's so solace about all of it. And he's like, yeah, she just burned my wrists and like burned my tattoos off. And I'm just going to sit here and take it because I know that I was like in the wrong. So I really did like that. And I like the intimacy of her redoing his tattoos and him kind of explaining his life story and what happened with his wife or his mate, I guess. Right. So I, what happened with his mate and that she was pregnant and all that stuff. And I, this is another thing where mob is just really manipulative and creepy and makes such a good wicked witch where she brings him into the fold and asks him for the blood oath. And he's like sad about it. And this is him saying like, I'm not happy where I'm at, but he's never going to say it because he yeah. shouldn't say it. And that was She's... like such an intense, intimate scene. And I yeah. really liked that in their friendship. And that I think is where the quote comes from where it's like, I held his hand and it didn't feel like I was cracking. I was welding back together. Yeah. They're talking about, you know, having these conversations with each other and figuring it out and them figuring it out together. And I just, I love that. And so that was really um, good. Sarah does a really good job writing about mental health. I will say that she does a great job writing about the realities of mental health, the issues with grief and all that stuff. And she really plunges into that well in a way that's very realistic, even though these are fictional characters. And I do appreciate that it's never sort of like swept under the rug. We really have to go through the process of her overcoming her grief and her guilt and all these things and same with Rowan like he's willing to admit that he was basically a shell of a person for 10 years and she does a great job about realistically writing about mental health issues and I I just love that about her writing yeah I really I really enjoyed that you know you finally kind of get this camaraderie between them and he's like taking her uh, with him when he's like investigating these basically these demi-fae are showing up as like husks sucked dry of their essence and everything and it's kind of I was like oh that's um and so you know they're finding all these bodies and they're trying to figure out who's doing it and what's doing it and they're you know kind of on this track and he's including her in these things and they sit together and listen to Emery's stories at night and they're they're really kind of developing that that friendship and so you know they find out they figure out that the um, there's these creatures that the king that the king has sent basically an army kind of of uh, some sort of like. So they, sl- they sort of mention that I guess we're skipping around the timeline, but Kale and Aiden have discovered that this general, this other general of the king's army, has sent an army to this outpost. They have like a, a rendezvous at a bar and says like, "Who's come from the furthest away?" That was so clever. Aiden is such a good character and he's so clever. 
and he brings him in and he's like, I'm from all the way over here. They kicked us out. There was a big tower over there, PPS. And I took a second look at the map and this is just like a side tangent, but I don't know if you've looked at the map. Those towns have the towers on them. So Norick way at the bottom, the symbol next to it isn't a diamond, it's a tower. And then if you look straight up above it, whatever the other town is, just like in case anybody wanted like a quick map cartography read, there's another (laughs) tower there. And then obviously the other one's in Rifthold, but there's no tower there. It's just like a a diamond. So it's like, oh, that's Interesting. interesting. And kind of brings in, you know, the, we're, we're bringing back in the silent assassins and kind of nod to the Southern half of the continent. So I thought that was really cool. They have that conversation. You find out that he's sending a, a mass of troops to that area. And then they bring mm-hmm. in Skulls Bay again and talk about that. And I was like, yes, I love it. Um, and kind of bringing in all these different pieces of the map that have come from the other three books that we've read. Um, and so we figure out that he's bringing 200 soldiers and these three black figures, these shadowy sort of dark- death. Shadow man. Shadow man. You can tell me this all because you were messing with the shadow man. <laughs> He was very charismatic. Anyways, they, these men were very charismatic, um, but they look like beautiful, perfect men. They catch Aelin and Rowan's scent and start to chase them. Chef's kiss with the skinwalkers. They're running. Rowan's using his power. Selena's using her power. It's a very stressful situation. And then they're like, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yep. Again, and beautifully bring in the skinwalkers and get away. But- these skinwalkers were very reminiscent of Supernatural. I was having Supernatural yes. season one flashbacks. Yes. <laughs> episode two by the way guys that was I felt the same way I was like this is so creepy that's exactly how they're described if anyone wants to see what the skinwalkers from air fire look like supernatural episode two Mm -mm. (laughs) so yeah that was terrifying and I love that you know that was a great way to get that set up then they're talking about dispatching um help and how they're coming straight after the, the keep and she's like, can you tell your six little blood oathy friends to like have a chat? And Rowan does it. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. I love that. I love how he like just kind of mentioned it, mentions it casually. He's like, oh yeah, by the way, I sent him a note. And I'm like, they're on their way. Just PPS. I love him. He's so suave. Um, and you know, then we get to that point where Aelin is like, this is big, bad evil. We need to do something about it. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to go inside and defend because They've come underneath the tunnel. Obviously someone betrayed us and the soldiers are coming in and she's like, okay, well, I'm just going to go like a little bit outside the gate and just like poof some fire, but I won't go all the way out. And he's like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Sure, 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 sure. And then she like waddles on out past the gate and like brings up a wall of fire. And I was like, dang. So I will say, I kind of forgot that the Vlag was what was inhabiting um, Kane in the first one. Yeah. So I'm glad that she wrote that in there because I was like, Oh, that makes more sense. I get that we've kind of run into these creatures before. Yeah, she just like mentions it. She's like, the last time I saw one of these was like, or the only time I've ever faced one of these, like she hasn't faced one head on, um, was when she was fighting with Kane. And so I, yeah, I did like that kind of like flashback. She does a good job. She didn't crown of midnight too. Re going over everything that happened in the previous one. I appreciate that's Mm -hmm. a, that's a, that's a good writer. Mm-hmm. that she recognizes to say those types of things yeah so she's what like a scary critter oh man she's like fighting these well they're princes Aelin's fighting these guys with fire because that's one of the that's like the only way that you, they can die and so she's fighting them and then Rowan's cadre show up it's this giant man who is Lorcan and then the twins the wolves the two wolves the black and the white wolf there's a osprey and then kitty cat (laughs) gabriel and so you know she's 
fighting them off and basically makes a like a tunnel for them to run through. They can get in and help Rowan and help everyone in there. Um, and Gavriel is the only one who kind of pauses and like looks back to her and like, you okay? Like you good here? Can I, do you need help? And then he like goes and helps Rowan. And so that was, that was a very interesting moment of like, Hmm, like, okay. And so, yeah. Like where are these guys going to land on the more of the gray spectrum? Um, and so, you know, they go and help Rowan and it's, Oh, this, I loved how she wrote this scene when she's talking about, you know, she's slipping, she's losing her power. She feels herself, you know, waning and she's trying to struggle and fight. And then you also have, you know, you switch to Rowan's perspective and he's trying to save her and they're like holding him holding, down and he's yeah. screaming for her. And I was just like, <laughs> like, you know, you have this moment of just like, oh God, poor Rowan is just like helpless. He can't do anything to help her. Lorcan, the little jackass won't let him go. And it's just, oh. And so they're holding him down. Like you can't help her. And it was so sad. And she's, he's just literally watching her just like crumble. And it was so sad. And then it talks about, she's like fighting them. And all of a sudden she just like slips into the darkness and she just disappears into the darkness. And I was like, oh, was so happy. We all know I love a good backstory. I was so happy that we finally got the like nitty gritty details of her parents' death and all the things that happened. And man, if you don't love to hate the King of Arlan, you hate him now because what a creep. And I loved her meeting Dorian and Aiden and his like fierce protectiveness and her and, you know, her losing control of her power and her realizing in these nightmares that like this was all orchestrated by the King beforehand. This was going to happen whether or not she lost control of her powers and he had done this to her and all of that. And I, that was so well written out and you really feel Selena's pain as a, you know, or you feel, or you really feel Aelin's pain in the sacrifice of her parents, or I guess you really feel Aelin's pain in the death of her parents and then the sacrifice of her ladies made and all of that. And you're like, this is where her fierce, fierce sense of self and like lack of self comes from. And yeah. I really love that. And, you know, her mom gives her the trinket and you're like, okay, how many more necklaces can this woman get? Um, (laughs) And I just, I was shooketh, I guess we'll see as we go forward, but the Vlag was inhabiting something to kill her parents. But then how did Arabin end up there is my question. Arabin was, found her in the river. So when she she escapes, he wasn't there. He, she ended up way down river, like way, way, way down river. And that's where he found her. But, you know, you go through all of her memories. So the Vogue or Vogue, whatever they're called, they, um, they feed off of fear. It's terrible. And so, you know, she's reliving these horrific memories that she has. I did like that. They did not focus on Bohemia in these moments. I was like very happy that it wasn't just like Nehemia the whole time. So I really like that, but you get the backstory of her and her realizing, you know, it's this fight between you know, she's kind of fighting, but she's not. And she's like reliving these memories. And it's this moment of her realizing that the king is just like trash, basically. And so she um, is going through these moments and these princes are like picking at her and picking at her and picking at these memories. And it's just, I love how she wrote this. And it was so intense. And so just, and at the same time, you're flashing to Rowan and he's like, can't see her he's fighting he's trying to get at, get away and it was just like oh and so she's um you know sitting there and then this felt like i don't know if you ever saw that old school not disney disney movie the swan princess you ever saw it no i've never know. seen it it's a reference she's like turns into a swan in the moonlight or whatever and 
<laughs> this just felt very much like that. Anyways, she talks about, you know, going through these situations, Marion's sacrifice and dying and, you know, the demon princes are like trying to steal her, her life and her soul and everything. And then she, baby Aelin is like, get up, stand up. And, um, you know, the princes are trying to fight back against and say like, no, you're a traitor, you're a liar, this, you know, and the rest of her family. But it's still like young Aelin at like eight years old is like, no, get up. And she like offers her hand and she arises from the ashes I was like this is very like phoenix-esque this but is, I really liked this yeah I liked that it was everyone in her life that was like get up get up keep fighting keep fighting and it's like that was very cliche it was like Harry Potter in the fourth one but I liked it and I thought it was really good because you know that going forward emotionally she's doing better she's going to do better and she can finally forgive herself and I think that was set up really well for her breakdown with Rowan later but I really liked that she brought in everyone that had sacrificed or died in not for her in her name, but like has died in her life. And that, you know, they all stood there and there was a big long line of them with her hand out. And I loved that. Yeah, I really like that. And, you know, you get this moment where she stands and then the next scene is obviously from Rowan's perspective. And he's like, he's having a really hard time because, you know, obviously the, the darkness is stopped and he says, because they've got a prize bigger than what's in here because they don't care about what's in here. Now they wanted her and they are, you know, distracted with her. And then he throws off Lorcan and, uh, and Gabriel and like slices his hand open and runs out there. And, um, she kind of is coming back into, you know, she gives him this like smirk and this smile and he's like, okay, like, and then he runs out there and they are, what do they call them? Karanam. Karanam, which really- is basically... I have no idea how to pronounce that. Basically, their their uh, powers are simpatico, and um, it makes them even more powerful. Hepatitis. <laughs> and then they defeat the princes, and um, it's a very it's a very good moment. I like when she defeats the general, and she says that there's a fleck like humanity in his eyes, and he sent her a vision of like what the future could hold, and all that stuff. And you kind of see what's going on with the king, and he's made these collars of obsidian stone, and done this to control these awful awful creatures and then we kind of flash back well i don't know so she has like a couple of days sleeping or whatever and then eventually rowan lets her out of her room they go down to this little lake which how precious and have a heart to heart and she finally tells him the whole story and i thought that was really well played out i'm glad that it wasn't just in snippets throughout she really like lays it all out for him it really builds up their relationship and their friendship and then she has a realization where she's like wait that necklace my mom gave me had ward marks on it and she's like there's no way I would have made it all the way down this river survive the fall survive the cold without it being some amulet of real protection wait it's a ward key and she doesn't tell Rowan and that was so clever and then we kind of flash back to like Kale and Dorian I love that part where it's sorry I just wanted to go back where she like doesn't tell him he is basically her unwilling spy and then Aelin recognizes that and so does he and they both at the same time are like don't like we're not saying anything and so I really liked that that. and I thought that that was clever because then it gives you that inkling of like okay obviously we know that her and Rowan are endgame but like okay uh, here they are conspiring as like a group to do something and you're like we're gonna have to get him out of this somehow so like what's that gonna take and then we kind of go back to the castle with Dorian and Kale lots of things have like happened in between uh, but Kale's trying to figure out what Dorian's magic can do. And I loved that they figured out it was a triangle. The rebels have kind of figured out that there's a triangle of these like obsidian towers and are trying to figure out what to do with them. 
they're having that chat. Dorian is like falling more and more in love with Sorsha, which what a strange name. I just like, he just, everybody wants for Dorian to like have a nice, happy life with a nice, happy girl. And I liked how prickly his and Dorian's relationship was throughout this. And, you know, Dorian's like really embracing himself and he's like, fine, what do you need me to do? Okay. I'll freeze this bowl of water with these crystals. And then he knocks one over. And I loved the line where he says, and like a king, he ends the like triangle or whatever, knocks it over. And it was just like, like a God ending his reign or something. And I was like, wow, that was a really good line. And is like a good precursor to like, what's going to happen. And Dorian's so in control of his magic and his development as a character is just phenomenal. He's not as big of a part in this one as he is in crown of midnight and stuff, Mm -hmm. but I still love, love, love that every book Dorian gets better and better. I love Dorian. I'm I'm, like, love for Dorian is growing. He annoyed me in the first book and got better in the second book. And he, I just, I I love Dorian. I just love his character. I think I didn't, I don't love him with, obviously I didn't love him with Selena, but I just, as a character, he's such a good character. Like he's so, he's just good. Like he's just a good person. You know what I mean? And that's just like, oh, I love it. He's not a lot. No, mm -mm, I, I love him. And so you know, you figure this out and they are trying to come up with some plan to upend the king and put Dorian on the throne. Yeah. And so, you know, there's all this stuff and then it all goes to hell in a handbasket, basically. I thought that was interesting that Kale didn't tell Aiden that the clock tower was the obsidian stone or whatever. And because he knew that they would just be willing to topple it right then and there. And it sort of shows that their relationship isn't as secure as he thinks it is and how he knows how to play the game. I love that Kale really develops into this, not a manipulator, but really just into a player. He's definitely a player in the, in the, in the board game. And he keeps saying he's going to go back home and I'm interested to see what tower of Dawn has. I think that I'm assuming he's going back home to run his little land, which also starts with a, which let's not talk about that. Um, I'm excited to see where that goes there, but I think Kale's actually turning into a, a good player on the board of how all this is going to go. And then they oh, get called okay. to the King's chambers. This part was so intense. I and hate heartbreaking. We couldn't hate the King more. I don't know. What are your thoughts? So I think the King knew all along. There is that inkling in there where Kale says, I think that maybe he brought us all in here to see what we, we would confess, but I have a feeling the King knew everything all along. What do you think? Um, I don't think the King knew everything. I think he knew, he obviously knew about Thorsha, but I don't think he knew about Aiden and Kale I don't think he I think he had an inkling but I don't think he knew because he's like yeah Aiden didn't think so you know he was says I wondered about the ring because um you know Aiden hands over his ring and it's obviously not the obsidian whatever and um he's like I wondered about the ring but uh hadn't wasn't quite sure so I think he had an inkling but I don't think he straight up knew who was betraying him yeah I had a feeling that he knew it was Aiden, but not Kale. That was my kind of thought there. Like I had a feeling that he knew Aiden was betraying him based on like the ring, not working and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. This part was so horrific. I just, I don't know. What was the point of bringing Sorsha in just to like kill her off? That's going to be some kind of arc. I'm sure for Dorian, his like Aiden. emotional love roller coaster is a bit much for me yeah. like, Poor Dorian. He just loves with oh. his whole heart and soul. And it's like, Oh my gosh. And then they break up. Jesus. Oh and no. Then she's going to die. Golly. Oh, 
Kale is about to fess up and then Aiden fesses up and he's like, oh, okay. Well, the true spy was Sorsha. And she was, you find out that she was sending letters to Ren about everything in the castle and she was part of the rebel movement. And it's so sad. And she, you know, tells, oh, she tells Dorian she wished she hadn't fallen in love with him, but she fell in love with him anyways and she loves him and all these things. And it was just like, oh, and then they chop her head off. And I was, and then Dorian just like, loses his shit which i mean any person in this situation probably would but he his magic goes out and he like protects kale when they like try to kill kale and he like throws out a shield basically and kale um doesn't die and he's like get out i'm it's fine i'll be fine they drug aiden off and kale dips out and runs out well it turns out that um the, the king was like huh I was waiting for you to finally like show some so show some magic and uh i was wondering and so uh here's a collar and then everything goes dark and i was just like poor dorian man he just gets the crap end of everything yeah dorian jeez, oh, what a guy was just i wouldn't die for him but you know i'd kill for him <laughs> yeah this was it was so heartbreaking and I'm excited to see how Aelin comes to save Aiden. I know that's going to happen. It has to happen. Right. Cause that's the setup. They've already mentioned it. It's going to, she's coming back to Riffold anyway. Her goodbye to Rowan is really like, I don't know. It just felt like very teenage whiny to me. He's like, can I come with you? And she's like, no, you can't come with me. And he's like, are you sure? And she's like, no, I'm sure. And he's like, are you sure? Sure. And I was like, Oh God. <laughs> I love Shut how. Up. Okay. So rewind a little bit because we skipped over a very large plot point in uh Aelin and Rowan's uh relationship but you know they go to see Maeve because he's like oh you could go to whatever the name of that place is and um Donnell or I don't know what it's called and so he's like okay we can go now and so she's kind of happy but not because she's like oh I'm gonna get some answers but I'm also terrified of my aunt who's psycho so they you know go there and it's just like terrible she like She's like, tell me where the word key is. And he's like, I don't know. She's like, Rowan, tell me where the word. And it's this, this ex, her exercising that power of the blood oath on Rowan. And it was so terrible and just heartbreaking. I did not, I did not like it. It was very Arabin manipulative moment. Yeah. This is sort of an interesting setup is Aelin comes and says, I have short hair now. I'm the fire heart. And is looking around is like, um, everything is here is made of stone. Okay. So that makes sense. Tuck that away for later. And then you realize she's tucked another thing away for later and another thing. And so it all finally comes forward that she has the sword of the guy, Brandon, who's like her great grandfather, um, who was the same age essentially as Maeve and all of them and was the original like fire King. And this is his best friend's sword. And this guy was like, went down in legend as being murdered by the vlog and all the other demons that came into this world. And it turns out Maeve killed him and he almost slayed the sea dragon and had this like ring with him. And so, so Aelin is like so smart and is like, okay, well, you don't know anything that I want to know. You're not giving me any valuable information. I already knew all this stuff. So thanks for that. Tell me about the vlogs. And then she's like, oh, here's like a couple of things about them. And then she's like, listen, I want Rowan. I want him out of his blood oath. And she's like, absolutely not. She's like, okay, well, what about this? nice ring here. PPS, let me light your entire capital on fire. And she's like, you can't, everything's stone. And she's like, yeah, but your people aren't. And I was like, dang girl, get it. That like was so she, good. she was like, not pulling any punches. I love that. She's like, hmm, okay, well just burn everyone in there. She's like, it won't burn anyone until I tell it. 
and it just shows that that she's finally like kind of has that control on her fire as well yeah and that she's really ready to become the queen of terrasan and take out all these people who have wronged her i loved that and you know she says that she's like i don't know if they're allowed if everyone anyone's ever broken a blood oath but like here we are so do it and then rowan turns around and is like i'm just kidding i know i'm free now but like let's blood oath it up again and i was like oh my that one made me really roll my eyes. I was like, I understand why they did it. And he, and she says yep. it in there. She's like, he doesn't put a babe, so I can't say no. But I was like, Ugh. it was real quick. It was very just like, now I'm attached to you. And I was like, really? And then she talks about this like voice, this like disembodied voice in her head that keeps telling her like, trust him, trust yourself. And like, it's kind of, I was like, okay, well, who is this? Is this going to be like Mav or Mav or Mib or whatever the hell her name is? Like, who, who is this now? And so or is this Elena or who is this? And so um, there was some stuff going on there, but yeah, so he has like given the blood oath to her. And so um, she um, obviously accepts and they're like leaving. And I love how he's like crying and whining. Like, I want to go with you. I need to protect you. I have like, this is what I'm here for. I've taken the blood oath. I've taken the blood oath because I want to protect you. And, da, 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 da. and she's like, you're gonna be stuck in your hawk form and you'll probably just be eating like gross sewer rats all the time so i don't think you'd like that and i'm just like okay i like that yeah that was so i was just like shut up bro and you're so annoying i don't know i i like that she's like this is the start of my core and she's finally like leaning into herself and all those things but i don't know he got a little annoying for a minute there i was like what's going on get why he wanted to go because obviously with the blood oath and everything like that but at the same time i understand why she doesn't want him to go one because she's worried that he's not going to be able to like (laughs) he's gonna he's gonna be easily yeah he's gonna be easily recognizable and everything like that two like she's there she's not she's going back because she knows that arabin has the word key the like necklace and exact revenge on arabin for what he did to sam because she's figured more out about you know Arabin and stuff like that so she's I think it's also her trying to close that chapter in her life before she moves on to be the queen you know and so she's going um, back as Selena and she's like yeah I can't bring some guy back with me I've already failed my mission and all that stuff and he yeah they kind of have that chat afterwards and he's like I prayed to Moab or whatever her name is and she was the goddess there and so you're like okay so magic is coming back into this, into play, coming back into this. And we know that, you know, obviously her ancestors approve of her and all that kind of stuff. So I thought that was really nice. And that it shows that Rowan is exactly what the body voice said is to trust him. And he's here to protect you and all that stuff. I just felt like we were a bunch of teenagers, like whining. It's like, no mom, I want to go to the store with you. And she's like, you don't get to come. And I was like, oh my God. Um, that's kind of the ending, right? Like we basically yeah. ride off into the sunset of her back on a boat again headed back to hawk. uh just kidding that was uncomfortable i was like ew <laughs> stop birds are roast headed back to hard one to to uh yeah figure everything out so i really i like this one i i know a lot of people were like wait for air of fire it's my favorite one and i'm like i don't know if it's my favorite one i'm not gonna say it's my favorite one so far i but it's good. It answers a lot of questions. I will say that. Does it? <laughs> I don't think it does. I think it just like gives us some more. I think it, I thought it answered a lot of questions. I felt like it answered a lot of questions and there was it a brought ton in of backstory. Some, that's for sure. 
it brought in some really cool characters. I mean, with Manon and Aiden, love Aiden, love Aiden. Ren's annoying, but um, Aiden, I love. Um, Obviously, Rowan. I mean, it has brought in some really great players into the game, and I really, really, really liked it. And I also liked the arc of pretty much the big three main characters. I liked, I liked all of their arcs throughout this book. Yeah, I thought this was good. What was your star rating for it? I would say my star rating for this one is probably like a three, seven, five. It wasn't, I, I don't know. I I go back and forth between three, seven, five or a four. I like, I don't know. I liked it, but it wasn't something that just like blew me away. Like I wasn't like, I was like, okay, answered a lot of questions, was better than Crown of Midnight, that's for sure. I don't know, I'll give it a four, because it was a lot better than Crown of Midnight, Crown of Midnight, I gave it a 3.5, so um, yeah, I liked it, I thought it answered a lot of questions, so we'll go with a four on this one, what about you? I would probably give it a four, too, I think the development was really good, and I liked the magical element, I loved bringing in Manon, and Aiden and all the other characters that kind of came into this one. This is definitely not my favorite. I'm a bit confused as to why people say this one is their favorite. I think too much happens for me for this one to be my favorite. There's too many things like contrasting. Granted, again, I listened to this via a robot. So that could have a huge effect on why I found some of the things a bit like questionable. There's Um, a lot of storylines to follow in this one. Yeah. Um, And a lot of perspectives, a lot of storylines, a lot of completely different characters you know Mm -hmm. what I mean and so yeah this one was wasn't hard to follow but it was just like you had to kind of pay attention yeah so I would probably give this one about a four yeah it's good I'm excited to keep on keeping on I'm ready for Queen of Shadows and the rest of the series and all that stuff I like Queen of Shadows I had that was a good one um so I'll do my obscure book recommendation of the week that's kind of our final thoughts on um Fire and all that stuff so mine is less by Andrew Sean Greer. This one won a Pulitzer. I'm just going to read straight from the back. You are a failed novelist about to turn 50. A wedding invitation arrives in the mail. Your boyfriend of the past nine years engaged to someone else. You can't say yes. It would be too awkward. You can't say no. It would look like defeat. On your desk, the invitations are half-baked literary events around the world. Question. How do you arrange to skip town? Answer. You accept them all. What could possibly go wrong? Thus begins an around-the-world in 80 days fantasia that will take the novelist Arthur Less to Mexico, Italy, Germany, Morocco, India, Japan, and put thousands of miles between him and the plight he refuses to face. Welcome to the bestseller embraced by readers everywhere, a love story, a satire of the American abroad, a rumination of time in the human heart. Less shows a writer at the peak of his talents, breezing the curtain of our shared hu- human comedy. This one is really, really funny. Um, and it obviously has a bunch of things about traveling, which we all know I love that sounds like a fun one yeah it won a pulitzer it's a national bestseller it came out ages ago well i don't know if it's ages ago i'm gonna look give me a moment and by ages ago i mean 2017 but it's pretty good one it seems like forever ago (laughs) wildly popular but i haven't seen it a lot online and um yeah it's really funny so nice i'll have to pick that one up so mine is uh, I Dreamed of Africa by Kuki Kaoman. She's an Italian writer and it talks about kind of a, it talks about her lifelong interests with and love of Africa. So um, basically the plot is the memoir ranges from her childhood fascination with the continent, once the title, to her 1972 decision to relocate to Kenya to run a farm in the Lycopa. 
Kaya Plant. I'm sorry, I destroyed that name. Um, with her husband and son, Galman published the book in 1991, 20 years after moving to Kenya, and she chose to write it in English as this was by her, uh, this was her adaptive language. Um, she's really big into like conservation and, um, you know, fighting against poachers and things like that. And so um, it talks about her conservation effort. It's a really good book. I, I really enjoyed it. I read it a while ago. Um, this is a book my dad actually re- recommended this book to me and I really, really loved it. There is a movie. It's so good. I, I highly recommend it. I really, really enjoyed this book, especially if you like to li- like learn about some conservation stuff. And I, that is, I Dreamed of Africa by Kuki Kalman. Uh, I think I've seen that movie. I would never want to live in Africa. <laughs> there are too many creatures I could just like straight up eat you. Everything there is engineered to kill you. Yeah, that in Australia. Sorry. Yep. Nope. I'm good. Yeah, I love a good travel book, but um, that's a good one. A little terrifying for me. That is terrifying. <laughs> um, but, okay, yeah. so we have some big, 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 big announcements. I guess it's not that dramatic, but we do have some big announcements for the week. Um, our we have a special guest coming on our bonus episode this Wednesday and. Who is our special guest? Our special guest is Catherine, the owner of Blissfully Bookish Teas. She, yeah, was kind enough to join us for an episode and kind of talk about her business and everything. And just, we talked about books and um, running a business and everything. It was such a great conversation. She's such a sweetheart. We had so much fun. Yeah, we had a ton of fun. So if you don't follow her on Instagram, she has like fandom related shirts, uh, joggers, enamel pins, really cute shoe charms. She does the novel threads pins. That's like the big one. And then the destination stamp, uh, enamel pins, which she doesn't do those anymore, but, and the spirit jerseys, all kinds of stuff. She has tons of really fun things. If you guys listen to our episode, we actually have a special discount code in that episode. So you'll have to listen to the end of that to get a special discount. And yeah, she was amazing. I had such a fun time talking to her. She loves Lord of the Rings equally as much as Kirsten. So that was really awesome. And her obscure book recommendations are one of like my favorite childhood authors. Yeah. So that episode will come out on Wednesday. We had literally so much fun chatting and then next week will be queen of shadows and then no bonus episode that week. You're all welcome. This has been quite the month. We're going to try to do bi-monthly bonus episodes. So that'll be it as far as the bonus episodes for June. And then we'll continue on to queen of shadows, um, have a couple more guests actually couple more guests coming on in July and uh, some really fun bonus episodes that I'm so ready for. Thank you all for tuning in this week. Please go and um, subscribe and like, and follow us on our platforms. And uh, we have accounts on both uh, TikTok and Instagram. Both of them are at the bookish banter podcast. So please uh, follow us there. Leave, leave a five-star review would be greatly appreciated. And if you love the episode or love the podcast, be sure it with a friend. We would really appreciate it. We love you all. You all are so, so amazing. So thank you for tuning in this week. Yeah, you guys have been awesome. Thank you guys so much for hanging out and listening to our recap of the start of Throne of Glass, really, Air of Fire. <laughs> We're getting into the back half of uh, Throne of Glass now, which I'm very excited for. It's starting to finally pick up. Yeah, definitely. Alrighty then. Thanks for tuning in. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Bookish Banter podcast this week. We would appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave a five-star review. Thank you once again, and we'll see you all next week.